but they are who we thought they were. And we let them off the hook. I got baptized in uh, Lake Minnetonka. I uh, hit a couple backflips. Playoffs? Don't talk about playoffs. You kidding me? Playoffs? I just hope we can win a game. My swag was having no swag. I can tell you right now, the Vikings and coaching search is looking in other directions at this time. Always well, we come back to Jim Harbaugh, and we'll see what happens here. But they're on the coast talking to the Rams coordinators tonight. And that was ESPN's Adam Schefter there talking about uh, the Minnesota Vikings head coaching search, which continues pace. Welcome in everyone to the Minnesota Sports Podcast here on this. It is the 31st of January. How's everybody doing here? And just want to go over the Vikings head coaching search here because uh, dominoes have fallen. Obviously last week we talked about uh, the look like inevitable hiring of uh, Brown's uh, VP to the general manager, Kwese uh, Adolfo Mensa, and he is the GM. And uh, listening to that press conference, I uh, was able to catch the whole thing, just hear him give answers. Um, just a couple quick takeaways. One, the dude, I mean, win the interview, win the you know, win the press conference is something that's huge. And almost like 95% of the time, uh, people win press conferences. And the only time you don't is if you're like Adam Gase and you sit there and you're like all bug eyed and tweaking. And you talk about how you don't go on the internet because it poisons the mind or something, or like, you just say it really weird. Um, he didn't win the interview and you can kind of tell things were going to be bad after that. Uh, but my point is, is it's really hard to lose the uh, lose the press conference. And Kwesi Adolfo Mensa didn't. He had a great press conference. I think he gave the answers. Um, you see why the Vikings really wanted him in that position. Obviously, you know, whether they wanted Poles or whether they wanted Mensa, whatever. Adolfo Mensa is the new Vikings GM. And you can see why he was a finalist for this job. I mean, even if he wasn't the Vikings' number one choice, he was right there number two. He was on that list, and there were other people who they could have considered that they didn't. And you can see why he's a great talker. He's charismatic. He's very likable. You know, he's a guy who has a Harvard background and was working on Wall Street. And is like, those guys come off as cocky. Those guys come off as people who want to be the smartest person in the room. Is Kwese Adolfo Mensa the smartest person in the room? Yes. But he doesn't come across that way. At least. Not in that setting. Now, maybe he does in interview. Maybe he does when he gets down to work. Maybe whatever. But from what I saw, he he seems like a very down to earth, very relatable. Seems like somebody who brings in you know the the trademarked culture and the trademarked inclusivity and whatever synergy, whatever corporate words you want to put in there. That does seem authentically him. He seems like a guy who knows he's not a football player but does know a lot about other things and wants to try and combine the two, and I think that's really his best attribute. We'll see how much, now that he runs the show, how much he wants to listen to scouts and how much he wants to do whatever, and and more of that just takes time. But right now, uh, that's what stood out. You can see why he worked his way up through the NFL so fast, very likable, seems very hardworking, seems like a guy who's at least, you know, if he's going to go down here, it's not going to go down for lack of trying. Um, but again, 
you can't judge a hire based on a week or however long it's been. Um, but on paper, it seems like they have a good guy to write the ship here in Minnesota. Uh, but now there, there's the other question of who controls the 53-man roster, and this goes into a little bit of the head coaching decision. He didn't really say if his job was to oversee the 53-man roster, and you would assume you'd assume that if Kwese Adolfo Mensa had full control over the 53-man roster, that he would have said that. And I think the only reason he didn't, or at least the biggest reason why, is because he hasn't hired a head coach yet. And whoever the head coach is is probably going to have a big influence on whether he does end up getting control over the 53-man roster, or at least how much control that the Vikings will wield him over the franchise. And so this gets us to the Vikings head coach. That's a very long-winded way of just... We're into the head coaching. We're into the thick of the head coaching search. The Bears hired Eberflus uh, to be their head coach, the Colts defensive coordinator, now the head coach in Chicago. That's fine. The New York Giants hired Brian Dable, the Buffalo Bills offensive coordinator, to be their head coach. That's also fine. The Vikings weren't really interested in either of those two guys. I believe they might have brought... They brought uh, Dable in for initial interview, or at least did one over Zoom, but he wasn't a finalist. The finalists are revealed. And here's what they are. Keep in mind, no, uh, Josh McDaniels was hired by the Raiders. Good luck to them. Good luck. But um, outside of that, the Vikings really, outside of Ryan Poles getting hired by the Bears, which seems inevitable the more you look at it, um, really, when you look at this, the Vikings haven't had their top head coach, quote-unquote, uh, stolen yet. So there's still the four finalists for the head coaching position. We're going to go over each of them and see what we like so far. So first off, Jim Harbaugh. He's the big ticket item here, isn't he? He's been a guy whose name didn't really come up. Uh, initially, uh, you hear it floated around that he wanted to come back. Maybe he wanted the Raiders job. It didn't seem like that was going to happen. Then just kind of stepped back and things just kind of worked themselves out. And um, now... Really, the steam is the Vikings or the uh, Dolphins were two teams that he reportedly wants to. Uh, he's interested in head coaching, at least. He's interested and has uh, a decent. Uh, he basically is decently invested in coming back. Now, let's go over that. Uh, he also had a meeting with the Vikings. It's not a formal interview, he just met with them. Um, but. A formal interview could happen this week. The biggest thing, though, is you heard Adam Schefter just talk about it. The Vikings don't, they're flying out to L.A., but we'll get to that in a second. So I'm not going to say that the Vikings are imminently about to get Harbaugh, but let's talk about the idea of Jim Harbaugh as the next Minnesota Vikings head coach. So Jim Harbaugh, the pros, he's an experienced head coach who took his team in the San Francisco 49ers to the NFC Championship game in his first two seasons as head coach of that football team. He also took him to the NFC Championship game the next season. So the first three seasons took him to the Super Bowl in his second season. I believe he was there for four or five seasons. He was not there for very long. He came in 2011. By the end of the 2015 season, he was gone. So he had a very short shelf life for the San Francisco 49ers. But he took them to the playoffs three times and two of those th- and all three of those times it was the NFC championship game and another one of those times he made it to a Super Bowl and had a decent shot of winning. 
Now, they didn't win, but they had a good shot. So it just goes to show you that he is a coach who has talent. He is a coach who does get the most out of his players. He's a guy that has had success at the NFL level. It's not like a Nick Saban or a Chip Kelly or a Matt Rule where he had success at the college level, but we don't know how you do at the NFL level. And now that at the NFL level, rather. And now Harbaugh, of course, he went to San Francisco, then went to Michigan. Um, but he's a guy who can get the most out of his team. Um, he's the definition of a boomer bust hire uh, because when he's got a low shelf life, as we just said, um, he's got a low shelf life because he just he's that Bill Parcells type where he wears on his players, he wears them down, he's very tough on them, very demanding, and it just kind of goes to. Do you want that? Do you want that to be your next coach? You next head coach. You just got rid of Mike Zimmer, whose whole deal was that he's a disciplinarian who loves defense, rides his players really hard. When they win, nobody cares. When they lose, things get ugly really fast. And that seems like Jim Harbaugh. Except the only difference is Harbaugh is an offensive mind. If the Vikings win. Nobody would care. Just like when the 49ers won, nobody would care. But when the 49ers started to lose, and they didn't lose very long. It was one year he didn't make the playoffs and he was gone. They mutually agreed to part ways. So he's a guy that wears teams thin. Now, granted, he was there with general manager Trent Baalke. And Trent Baalke, as we can see, although he is a Bemidji State alum, so i got to give him credit for that, uh... Really, outside of that, that's the only positive thing I have to say about him because he, uh, he's he been a terrible general manager uh, in Jacksonville specifically. I mean, if you just follow their head coaching search, they have no idea what they're doing. And it feels like they don't know who to hire, which is even worse. And so, yeah, I, I would just say uh, maybe that wasn't all on Jim Harbaugh. But also it was kind of a lot to do with Jim Harbaugh. So, he's the definition of a boomer bust. He's going to have full control over the 53-man roster that, for a veteran coach like him to come in, he would want a ton of control over the roster, if not all control. And if you're Kwese Adolfo Mensa, if you're lucky, you get to pick two head coaches in your career. Spielman really only got to pick two head coaches. And Leslie Frazier really wasn't his pick because of how fast he was shown out the door. So... Really, his only head coach is Mike Zimmer. If you're Kwesi Adolfo Mensa, you only get one shot at picking a head coach, and then at least that's your best shot. So do you want that to be the guy you tie your neck, your, your chain to? I don't know. That's, that's a good question because of how thin he wears players, of how soon his shelf life is. So I don't know. I could talk myself into, I could really talk myself into Jim Harbaugh. I just don't know if that's the right move for the Vikings. Now look, he's a guy who's got an, he's a good offensive mind. He's a guy that gets the most out of his players. This dude, one, made Colin Kaepernick a great NFL quarterback. And two, the man also salvaged Alex Smith's career. Like, do you remember Alex Smith before Jim Harbaugh? He was a train wreck with um, Mike Singletary and with, I believe that might have been his only head coach. Maybe there was one other before. But Alex Smith was a dumpster fire of a quarterback until Jim Harbaugh came. And then all of a sudden, he was playing at a Pro Bowl level. Of course, still gets benched for Kaepernick, but then you saw the upside he got with Kaepernick and you understood why. And then, and then, um, with everything going on, it just... It made sense 
for uh, to get rid of Alex Smith. But Alex Smith was still a, a he turned into a very solid quarterback who then went to Kansas City and was solid again. So Jim Harbaugh was really the one who first found a way to use Alex Smith. And he was the first one to really get success out of him. So I think that that's an understatement itself. Alex Smith was a bust of a number one overall pick until Jim Harbaugh got his hands on him. And then he took him to the NFC Championship game where they barely lost to Eli Manning. And then the next year, they went to the Super Bowl. And then the year after that, they lost to Seattle. But, like, Jim Harbaugh could work. It could work. I just think it's very, very risky. I think it's a splash. I just don't know if it's going to work. All right, next. uh, And one last thing. There could be a very good shot that he's just using this to get leverage for a deal for uh, Miami. The Dolphins are also interested in him being an NFL head coach. There's also just a really good shot he stays at Michigan and that he's just kind of using this for more money. Like he's using this to get Michigan cut his pay uh, before last season and then he takes them to the college football playoff. So my guess is he's either trying to get more money from Michigan or he's trying to just basically bail because they gave made him take a pay cut to keep his job. But I think it's to get a raise. I think he will get one. I heard that there were reports that he is uh, getting. I think it was somebody from ESPN. I think it was maybe it was Adam Schefter. As we heard earlier, uh, the Vikings don't seem too particularly interested. Yet, it's not like they're getting the jet ready. Now, granted, because of the Rooney rule, they do have to meet with um, a, a basic a minority candidate from outside the organization. And they're doing that today with Raheem Morris. So let's now take a look at Raheem Morris. But my final verdict on Jim Harbaugh is I don't think Jim Harbaugh is the next head coach of the Minnesota Vikings. I could be wrong, but after hearing Adam Schefter and after just kind of just feeling out all this outside information on Harbaugh, I don't think he's the head coach. Um, But here's the deal with Raheem Morris. He's the Rams' defensive coordinator. He's an experienced coach. He's cool under pressure. He seems likable. I remember he was the head coach of Tampa about 13 years ago and did a decent job. He got him to double-digit wins, and that was with Josh Freeman at quarterback. Josh Freeman! So, needless to say, he can do stuff. Um, He could turn a defense around that does need to get turned around. This defense needs to be rebuilt. Raheem Morris, there's, uh, he's worked with Kyle Shanahan. He worked with them in Washington. He worked with them in Atlanta. And I think with Raheem Morris, I think it just makes sense. Now, he worked not only as a defensive coach, but he also worked as an offensive assistant as well. And Raheem Morris realized, like, hey, I'm a defensive guy. I should be talking with the offensive guys all the time to try and figure out how this chess match is going to work. I should be letting... Uh, I should be letting... Uh, Shanahan know what things defenders are going to be doing to try and stop his offense and how he can counter that. And it's just little things like that that make Raheem Morris, he's a guy that gets it. He says that NFL head coaches are the CEOs of the football team and it's more than just being a coach and you got to do all this extra stuff. I think Raheem Morris gets it and he's a guy that's been through it before. He's a defensive-minded coach because as much as we talk about needing an offensive-minded coach, that defense needs a lot of work. That defense is going to be a mess next year, um, especially if Daniil Hunter doesn't come back. Outside of Eric Kendricks and Harrison Smith, I would have no faith in any of these defenders. So we need a complete, complete rebuild. Um, so maybe you do want a defensive guy to fix that while you have the offensive firepower to figure it out from there. But I don't know. 
Raheem Morris, again, seems like an experienced coach. He seems like a guy who gets it. I wouldn't be offended at all if Raheem Morris is my head coach. The only reservations I have are nothing with him personally, judging off the limited experience and the limited information we have about Raheem Morris. The only thing that would turn me off is the fact that he is a defensive-minded head coach in an offensive league, and after he just went defense, do you want to hire a guy like that? You know, I know Zimmer was very disciplinary and he was very yelly in your face, all that kind of stuff. And Raheem Morris isn't. He seems like the more quiet guy, kind of the Todd Bowles type where he's not, uh, you know, he's a defensive coordinator who doesn't like to yell and scream and get in your face. He's kind of more quiet. Maybe Leslie Frazier is a better comparison. But do the Vikings want to go to that? Or do you want the young offensive coordinator type, the kind of preppy, uh, you know, uh, Silicon Valley type of like they're quirky and weird like McVay and Shanahan are and, uh, that Mike McDaniel's guy uh, for uh, for San Francisco, their offensive coordinator, uh, stuff like that. Um, but I think Raheem Morris is just—he's a defensive side of the coach. He's a defensive coach, and do you want a defensive coach to run your football team again, especially in an offensive league? You'd have to get the offensive coordinator hired just right. And are you confident that you can find a great offensive coordinator? Raheem Morris is going to have to show that and going to have to find some people he can work with uh, he would want to hire. And I don't know. So that's my thing with Raheem Morris. But I think he's a guy that gets what being a head coach is all about. I think Zimmer had some of those qualities, but he didn't understand what being a head coach was all about of a football team. He could do the coaching part but he didn't understand how to be the CEO of a football team. I think Raheem Morris has the X's and O's, and I think he understands how to be the CEO of a football team because he's done it already, and he's learned from it, and he's seen other people. He's been on multiple staffs. So I think that I think Raheem Morris wouldn't be a bad head coaching hire at all. But I still don't think he gets the job. Uh, and another thing about Raheem Morris is that he's on the Rams coaching staff. They playing in the Super Bowl. They don't play again in two weeks. So the Vikings, as two weeks from today, would be the soonest that they could hire a head coach. And maybe if you're the Vikings, do you want to just hire a guy, get him in the building, and get him going and start filling out the staff and start getting to work? I don't know. That's a, that's a big question. The right answer is you just, if you think you have the right guy, you wait for him. But we'll have to see. Because offense seems to be the name of the game. Offense, finding that bright offensive mind, and especially that young offensive coach. If you're Green Bay, you want to find your, you know, like your Matt LaFleur in Green Bay. He's staying there forever. Granted, unless something falls apart fast, Matt LaFleur is going to be the coach in Green Bay for a solid decade plus. Um, you look, you know, the Mike Tomlin type, the guy who's just there forever. The Sean McVay's, the whatever, Zach Taylor will be in Cincinnati forever. Marvin Lewis was there forever. They don't want to fire people, and especially now that Zach Taylor took him to a freaking Super Bowl. Joe Burrow took him to a Super Bowl. But that kind of thing. You want that head coach that you can pencil in, young, offensive-minded. He can be your head coach for a very long time, and that's what Kevin O'Connell could be. He's the Rams' offensive coordinator. He's got the young offensive mind, trademarked uh, kind of bit. Uh, Rams in the Super Bowl, obviously, offense has been good, being sixth in points per game, seventh in yards. Um, the buzz around him, uh, there's just a lot of buzz. He seems like he's been doing well in a lot of interviews, seems like he's been winning people over. Now, again, 
How much of that offense is due to Sean McVay, who's been calling the plays and who's been doing all that? Because Kevin O'Connell has never called plays in the NFL. But neither did Doug Peterson, and neither did Zach Taylor either. So, like, there are some coaches who don't call plays until they get the job, and then they just kind of learn with it. So, I don't know. As we've learned with Clint Kubiak, though, first-time play calling can be a mess. But also, Kevin O'Connell has been an offensive coordinator already and has seems to be a lot further along, and the offenses have been doing better. Even with the star power that the Rams have with Odell Beckham and with Matt Stafford and all that kind of stuff and Cooper Cup, they still find ways to distribute the ball and make it work, and they utilize the tight ends, which the Vikings have, especially if you think of Irv Smith, the way that the Rams use Tyler Higbee. So there's some stuff that you really can get behind with this uh there's some stuff you can really get behind with a Kevin O'Connell. Um, but just how much of it is his and how much of it is Sean McVay's? Can he be a great play caller? He's the least qualified, really, out of all of the head coaching candidates here in this final four. Um, but he's the guy that, I don't know, for whatever reason, my gut feeling tells me that Kevin O'Connell is going to be the next head coach of the Minnesota Vikings. But I'm basing that off of nothing. I have no facts. It's just kind of how everybody seems to be talking to themselves on social media and through uh, all the media uh, hits about the Vikings. It feels like Kevin O'Connell is the front runner for the job. And unfortunately, since the Rams won, if he is the guy, um, you we're not going to know for sure until two weeks from now when they would announce him as head coach. Now, they, now if they go through this week with either Morris or Kevin O'Connell, they go through this week and they haven't hired a head coach yet. It's one of those two. And if it's one of those two, they probably already know because the Vikings probably already have a verbal agreement and probably already put the feelers out there just so it's like the wink-wink, nudge-nudge, like Kyle Shanahan, offensive coordinator for the Falcons. Everybody knew he was going to take the San Francisco job. You just couldn't say it. You couldn't outright say it. So there's that. Kevin O'Connell, I think, is the next Minnesota Vikings head coach. That doesn't mean he's my personal favorite. I would probably like to go towards more Raheem Morris, but... That doesn't mean that I don't, that I wouldn't, again, that doesn't mean that I wouldn't find a way to get behind it or find some kind of positive in it. But I think Kevin O'Connell ends up being that head coach. All right, lastly, here are the final four of the candidates. And he feels like the guy who could either come out of nowhere and take this job or maybe the guy who's kind of the odd man out. And that's D'Amico Ryans. And D'Amico Ryans, um, again, defensive coordinator for the 49ers, have a great, great defense. Kyle Shanahan is an offensive coordinator, so you know that this defense has his fingerprints on it. Robert Saleh uh, was the head coach of the New York Jets. He was their defensive coordinator last year. So you can see that D'Amico Ryans got in there, put his fingerprints all over it, and uh, has basically kept a good defense, uh, a good to great defense in that good to great level. Like he has just been keeping the train on the tracks and that appears to be good. He calls defensive plays, so there's that. Um, again, defense needs a rebuild. He could attribute to that. 49ers had one of the better defenses in the NFL this season, so it would make a lot of sense to hire D'Amico Ryans. There's also the Kwese Adolfo Mensa connection with the two having worked together in San Francisco, um, so... There's a little bit of that. He could also join the team. He could also be hired as soon as this week. They're meeting with him, I believe, tomorrow. So they could get that all squared away, get him on the plane, get him back to Minneapolis, and have him introduced, and he can already start 
reaching out to put together a staff kind of thing. Um, but the one thing about D'Amico Ryans is the same thing you run into Raheem Morris, except Raheem Morris has been a head coach before. D'Amico Ryans is younger. He was a former player, so he has that going for him. But I believe D'Amico Ryans was a former player. But uh, again, uh, just with all of that stuff going on, um, with D'Amico Ryans, he could join the team right away, but I mean, how much, he's a very young coordinator, how experienced is he, are you comfortable handing him the keys to your team, it's the same question kind of have with O'Connell, or, you know, the guy doesn't have a ton of experience, how qualified is he, um, whatever, uh, but, he could join the team now. He could start building out a staff. I think D'Amico Ryan's just basically everything sounds. It feels like it's going to be a Rams coordinator. feels like it's going to be one of those two. Harbaugh could be very much in the mix, but based off what I'm hearing, based off what Schefter said earlier today, it just seems like it's Kevin O'Connell by default and kind of by the transitive property here. I think that's how you use the transitive property. Anyway, so there's a look at all the Minnesota Vikings head coaches, and we'll go in depth on more of them as more information develops, and we'll see, again, the Wilves and the uh, the search committee are meeting. They flew out to Los Angeles to go meet. Yeah, yeah, everybody, let's go leave Minneapolis in January, and let's go to L.A. for a few days. Yeah, that's a great plan, everybody. Get it on the company card. Uh, so... They're out there looking for their potential next head coach. It could be Raheem Morris, and it could be Kevin O'Connell. They're going to meet with both of them today. Interviews start as early as tonight. Um, so it's really going to be interesting to see what they do uh, here and what the eventual call is on the franchise. But we'll keep an update on that as this week continues. All right, let's talk about the Minnesota Wild now. They're 8-0-1, baby. Let's go. Uh, they have been doing so well uh, these last few games. I watch a Wild game. You know, like, I can watch a Vikings game, and I kind of half expect them to lose every time at least. Like, I've, there are very few Vikings games I go in expecting them to actually win the football game. Um, and especially this season, when you watch Timberwolves games, I rarely expect them to win games. When I watch the Wild play, I expect them to win Foot, or uh, win hockey games. I expect them to go out and to be the better team for 60 minutes. I do. And I just, when it comes to uh, Minnesota Wild hockey, they're just on such a roll. They're 8-0-1 in their last nine games. Um, everything about where the Minnesota Wild are sitting right now, taking a look even at the Western Conference standings in the Central Division. Now, in terms of points... They're 10 points away from Colorado. Remember the beginning of the season when I said, hey, everybody, Colorado's going to be good? Yeah, they're still really good. But the Wild are a point away from second place against the Preds. The Avs have such a lead right now, but that could be made up in a hurry uh, if the way the Wild are playing right now, the Avalanche have just been playing, well, just as good. But the Wild have been playing so well, I don't go into games expecting them to lose. I go into every game assuming they're going to win. And for the most part, they've been doing that all season long. Now, Matt Boldy, he's here to stay. He is here to stay. Uh, I just saw on social media early today, he's, I believe, the first NHL player to uh, 
Uh, he's the first NHL player, if I have this right, to score like nine points in his first nine games. I think that's the number. I'll try and see if I can confirm that uh, confirm that stat here uh, with with him. He's the yes, he's the first not, uh, nine points in his first nine NHL games. That's a record. He had a two point game yesterday versus the Isles, um, and just. Again, Boldies came up. I said the expectation is is let's let them start slow. Let's see what they can do. Um, you know, we don't want to put too much on them. But uh, Rossi, of course, is down in Iowa. He still needs a little bit more time. But Boldy has, and granted, he played a lot of college hockey. So he comes up here. He just needs a little bit of time in Iowa to get used to playing pro hockey. And, man, he's all around the ice. He's making plays. Um, he's been really good for Kevin Fiala. Their plus minuses have been great. They've been able to play really well. I, I just think when you look at the Minnesota Wild, Matt Boldy makes this team better, and he's going to be here to stay. He's here to stay. He's and now is he going to win the Calder? Highly unlikely. But is he going to be a great player that the Wild can now add to? Not only do they have some of these veteran guys like Goligoski, they have some of these veteran guys like Fiala. They have uh, veterans around the ice, but then they can inject. Matt Boldy into this, um, and it's just really great for the franchise that they can do that. Um, Boldy did get put on the taxi squad today. That means nothing. That's just for salary cap reasons. Um, don't expect anything of that. Boldy's not going anywhere. And uh, by the way, uh, Bill Gurren said as much that he's not going anywhere. Um, they're just handling teams. I don't know what to say about the Minnesota Wild. They're just taking care of business. They go into New York. They play the Islanders. They play the Rangers, two teams that are tough. And they go in and they win. They win two games and on the, on the road in tough New York hockey environments. They go out. They get those. They completely throttle teams as well. Um, I just I don't know what to say about the Wild. They have to play the Blackhawks on Wednesday, and then they have a pretty easy open schedule in front of them. We'll talk a little bit more about that tomorrow. But... Uh, one thing, last thing on the wild is Jordan Greenway gets signed to a three-year, believe it was $9 million extension. He was somebody that we weren't really sure as we talked about at the beginning of the season. You can go back and listen to our episodes on the podcast at that time. We didn't know if Jordan Greenway was going to be on this team after this year, but a three-year $9 million deal seems pretty fair, keeps one of the rotational guys in the wild, and for a team that is going to be in some salary cap heck for a while, um, it's pretty good to lock down a guy like this to a moderate deal. Now, obviously, $3 million in hockey means a lot more than $3 million in football, but it's going to be, it's very good that the Minnesota Wild locked this guy down, and it's very good to have him because they're going to go through some struggles financially, and at least lock down some of your veteran guys to keep him on this roster is going to be huge. Now, is he a part of the main core anymore? No, but he's a he's a nice little veteran that can be on this roster, and I think to have him around is important, even if he isn't always the, uh, the main piece of the puzzle and more of a complementary piece, but Again, Jordan Greenway still is a guy who possesses a lot of talent and can do a lot of stuff when he's when he's dealing. So Jordan Greenway staying with the Minnesota Wild again uh, here. So let's move on to the Minnesota Timberwolves now as we uh, try and get through this podcast here. The Minnesota Timberwolves, they got a big win against a banged-up Utah Jazz team. They took care of business. And keep in mind, even though the Jazz had a bunch of guys out, a bunch of guys. Donovan Mitchell didn't play. They had a few other guys out. Um, the Wolves didn't have D'Angelo Russell. They didn't have Patrick Beverly. They didn't have Jared Vanderbilt. And they still found a way to take care of business. They won by about 20 points. They got a big win 
at home at the Target Center. Um, didn't have a big crowd, but still was able to get a good win. Um, I mean, honestly, the path was set before him. They were banged up too. I know the Wolves were, but so was Utah. And they took advantage of it. This would be a game where you could see the Wolves losing, even with the fact that they're banged up. Uh, the Jazz were, but they got out, they won, and not only did they win, they took care of business. They're back to the 500 mark, which seems to be about where this team is going to hover around for the rest of the season. But here's the one thing, if the if the Wolves, if they do want to get above the 500 mark, if they do want to consistently be above there, they have a good chance to get that going in their next few games here. Their January schedule was brutal, and the fact that they got out of the January schedule with as good of a, uh, a record as they did that they can keep hovering around that 500 mark, they were sitting really good, really good. They're going to play the Nuggets tomorrow night at home. That's going to be a tough game. You're going to have to contain Jokic if you have any chance of winning. But the Wolves have a chance that's on their home floor. Now, do they win? That's tough. But the next four games, not tough. They go. They do a home-and-home home with uh, the Detroit Pistons. And then they also do a home-and-home home with... Actually, it looks to be playing two games on the road back-to-back against the Sacramento Kings um, two nights in a row. So they have a chance. Now playing a team twice in a row, they did that against the Pelicans two nights in a row. Again, it's an interesting dynamic. The NBA really hasn't done much of it this season. Chris Finch earlier in the season when they did it against uh, New Orleans, he said it's actually kind of fun. It's good. It's like a playoff game because you just played a team. Now you got to go right back and play them again. Um, good preparation for a young team to try and get ready for the playoffs. I think that's a good point. So they do that, and then they play the Chicago Bulls, who are a tough team this year. But I think in their next six games... If they can go 4-2, and two, good sign, because now you're two games above the 500 mark. And then you play the Pacers, you should beat them. You play the Hornets, you should beat them. The Raptors, you should beat. And then it's Grizzly 76ers, and then eventually you got the Warriors. The schedule gets hard again. But my point is that with everything going on, the Wolves have a chance to get some wins going again. And then the schedule, as we get into March, gets really, really easy uh, at the beginning of March and everything. February is a short month, and by the end of February, all of a sudden, we're thinking playoff time. The season, we're in the final two months of the season. We are in the home stretch here for the Minnesota Timberwolves. The All-Star break is coming up this month as well. So really just everything. Uh, the Wolves are sitting themselves in great, great position. Um, right now, they are currently the eight seed. They are tied with the Clippers for the seven seed, um, but... They have more wins, so they are technically put above. That seven seed looks to be the place to go. If you are any, uh, if you're basically any team that's seven or below, it seems to be about the highest you can do at this point. Um, with the Mavericks about seven games above the 500 mark, and then the Nuggets doing better than that, than the Jazz, Grizzlies, Warriors, Suns. But if you're a team like the Timberwolves, if you're a team like the Lakers, the Trailblazers, the Spurs. The Pelicans, I don't know, the Pelicans seem kind of out of it, but really, um, if you are the Trailblazers on up, you're competing to try and not make the play-in tournament. It's really hard. you got to get that sixth seed, but it appears that the Timberwolves are going to make the playoffs, barring some, barring some epic collapse. And this Wolves team doesn't scream epic collapse to me. It feels like there's an infrastructure building. 
here that is just consistent. Now, what's the ceiling of this team? I have no idea. The ceiling of this team seems to be wherever Anthony Edwards can take him and take them and however high his ceiling gets. But uh, I, I don't know. I just I I said earlier the Timberwolves have to show me that they can be a playoff team before I'm going to believe it. And now, did I mean they actually have to get into the playoffs, or did they actually have to just basically show that they're on the right path? And the right and here's my answer is I don't know. I I didn't think they get this far. They're doing really well this season, uh, especially really well considering Timberwolves' franchise expectation terms. So I think this Timberwolves team has a great shot to make the playoffs, and that's really, really fun to see. Winter sports in Minnesota, both the Wild and the Wolves, not only are they both good and on track to make the playoffs, but they're both fun to watch, and that's something that we've never got to see before, and it's great that uh, we have these two teams being good at the same time, and at least making uh, some playoff runs. Um, anyway, uh, those kind of the thoughts on the uh, on the Timberwolves there. Last thoughts on the Gophers here, and then we'll wrap up this podcast here for this Monday. They took the L to Wisconsin, took the L to Scani. Uh, number 11 team in the country was Wisconsin. You played them on the road. Uh, another close game, though, only lost by six. Ben Johnson's team, after losing close to Ohio State and then losing close to Wisconsin, um, it's just, again, the Gophers are going to be good. They're on the right track. Does that mean that they're going to be perennial national title contenders? No. But does that mean that they at least can be a competent basketball team within the next five years? 100%. And... Ben Johnson doesn't just... So the big thing on Ben Johnson, he's got some Minnesota recruits. If you look at his recruiting class, um, his first class, so far he has three commits. They're all three stars, although Braden Carrington could be considered a four-star, I believe, depending on how you want to grade him. Uh, But they have a guard in Carrington, they have a forward in Ola Joseph, and they have a power forward in Payne. All three, by the way, from Minnesota. Now, granted, Minnesota doesn't have a uh, you know the the traditional top uh, twenty five prospects, and they don't have the 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 Chet Holmgrens and uh, the the Jalen Suggs and whatever. But the fact that Ben Johnson is getting in the Minnesota schools, he's getting in the gyms, he's recruiting. That's great because the more you recruit those guys, the better chance you have when you try and recruit the big guys. Now, are you going to get a top? prospect in the country like a top five that's very out of reach but can you get maybe can you snag a top 30 can you I think Ben Johnson has the ability to do that and then if you can win with the program here in Minnesota then you have a better chance of snagging those prospects it's a long work in progress but Ben Johnson is young Ben Johnson cares about the Minnesota Golden Gophers he has great relationships with the AAU connections here in Minnesota even though they're not at the level they were a few years ago still a very deep basketball state so really um, it's gonna be interesting to see what happens with Ben Johnson. But not only is the recruiting aspect of it that Ben Johnson has a big deal, it's um, the fact that he just can coach. I mean, they almost upset Michigan State in East Lansing. They played hard against Wisconsin. They played hard against Ohio State at the barn. And by the way, this Gophers team is not that good. Their starting five is above average, but they have nothing after that. And by that, I mean three of their starters are above average. Really just Peyton Willis, Jamison Battle. That's about it. 
Curry does not play that well. Uh, I mean, just because of the knee injuries and all that. Not like him personally. He's just been banged up a lot, and it really has showed. So, really just out of all this, I think the point is to say the Gophers are going to be all right. And they're not as far off as we think. Are they going to make the NCAA tournament this year? No, they feel like a three seed in the NIT. And that's okay. Give Ben Johnson some more games to coach. Give this team more opportunities to figure things out. But Ben Johnson is going to put the Gopher program in a very good spot. What does that look like? Is it winning the Big Ten? Is it being ranked consistently? I don't know what it is. But what I do know is that Ben Johnson is a good coach X's and O's. He's a good coach in recruiting. And by the way, it seems like his players really like him. And if you see him in uh, press conferences, he seems very intentional about talking to his players and how he answers questions and everything. So other Big Ten coaches have went out of their way to praise Ben Johnson, tell tell everyone that they think the Gophers are in a good spot, which they all certainly didn't have to. The Gophers got a good one. And we'll see if they can keep this up for the future, even though the wins aren't coming. But they will. The It might not be this year, and maybe next year is too far off. But the Gophers have a good infrastructure. Like I said with the Wolves, they're building a good infrastructure. And the Gopher basketball program is doing that as well. Well, all right, that's going to wrap it up here for this Monday on the Minnesota Sports Podcast. We also wrap up the month of January. Stay tuned in the month of February as we have more stuff coming up here on the Minnesota Sports Podcast. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to the Minnesota Sports Podcast. You can find us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Be sure to leave a five-star review and share the podcast on social media to help spread the word.